kumru to pochovajte mene na mohyli Sred stepu široko na krajini myli Šťoplany široko poli i Dnipro i kruči Bulo vidno, bulo čuto jak revere uči Šťoplany široko poli i Dnipro i kruči Bulo vidno, bulo čuto jak revere uči Jak ponese z Ukrainy Usynieje more Kroworożu Oto idzie I lany i chory Se pokynu i polynu Do samoho Boga Budu molitysia A do toho Ja nie znaju Boga Se pokynu i polynu Do samoho Boga Молитися, а до того я не знаю Бога. Поховайте та вставайте, гайдани порвіте. І вражую свою кров'ю, волю укропіте. І мене все великі, все волі нові. Не забудьте пов'янути. was Dimitro Bohush with Zapovit, which translates as My Testament, and that is a poem by Taras Shevchenko. And yes, it is unfortunate we are pretty much all consumed with the news of the war in Ukraine, but I thought it fitting to start this program with a little bit of a tribute to Ukraine's National Bard, since in March that is normally what we do every year. So again, that was Zapovit, My Testament by Taras Shevchenko, put to music by Dmitro Bohush. Dobry den, i witaju was wsich dorehi radio suchaci na radio programu Nash Holos, radio Krinskoho Korinia, kotra podiecie wam na radio stanci CHLY, stojdeni sim FM umisti na najmo. Pri mikrofoni ciuhodenu je Pavlina, a pisecioho Oksana budes vame nastupnu hodenu. Hello there and welcome to Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio coming to you here on CHLY 101.7 FM in Nanaimo. I'm your host this hour, Pavlina, and Oksana will be here at 12 noon to host the rest of the show. In this hour, a couple of interviews, one with Julia Sorry, Rachel Korsunski, that's Julia Korsunski's daughter, and uh, that they are with an organization in the United States called RememberUs.org, and she'll be telling us how we can help people suffering uh, from this terrible war in Ukraine. As well, an interview with Amy Greenaway, the curator of the Nanaimo Museum, 
And she'll be telling us about an exhibit there right now called Enemy Aliens about the internment operations of World War One. As well, more thoughts from Dima Kondrashov, a musician in Ukraine, our proverb of the week, and some great Ukrainian music. And we're going to continue with the Tarashevchenko theme. Here we are with Quartet or Quintet, Alleluia, and Sadok Vishnevi Kolochate, all about a cherry orchard near the house. Sadok Vishnevi Kolochate. Хроші над вишнями йдуть, плуга та ріс плугами йдуть. Співаючи йду дівчата, а матері вечерять йдуть. Сім'я вечеря коло хати, вечірня зіронька стає. Дочка вечерять подає, а мати хоче навчати, так соловейко не дає. Поклала мати коло хати, маленький діточок своїх. Сама заснула коло них. Затихло все, тільки дівчата та соловейко. Не затих. Є на світі доля, хто її знає. Есть на свете воля, кто ее имеет. Есть люди на свете с ревлом златом сяют, Сдаются, пануют, а доли не знают. Та будьте багаті, а я візьму сльози Лихо виливати, затоплю долю Дрібними сльозами, затопчу неволю Восими ногами, тоді я веселий Тоді я багатий, як буде серденько По волі гулянти Доля, хто її знає, є на світі воля, хто її має, є люди на світі з ріблом златом сяють, здається, панують, волі не мають ні долі, ні волі з нудьою та з горем жупан надівають, плакати сором.
Кричит совы спиди бровой зиронки Сияют по над шляхом Ширятся юховражки Гуляют, спочивают Добрые люди, что кофту мило Кого счастья, кого горы Всенечка покрыла Tarasova Nietzsche with Yesna Sviti Dolya, another Shevchenko poem all about fate and destiny. Since 2013, RememberUs.org has been focused on Holocaust remembrance and education in Ukraine. Based in Massachusetts, their mission is to educate the public about the devastating consequence of genocide, to honor and commemorate those who perished in the Holocaust, and to promote peaceful coexistence, inclusiveness, and cross-cultural interactions. Julia Krasinski, the executive director of RememberUs.org, shared with us some of the projects that the organization initiated, namely planting metasequoia trees at mass grave sites of Holocaust victims, including her own great-grandparents and many other relatives, and establishing Holocaust museums across Ukraine to educate the public. Then on February 24th, catastrophe struck Ukraine. Many call it genocide, as the Russian government invaded Ukraine with ballistic missiles, bombings, and non-discretionary heavy rapid artillery fire. Realizing the gravity of this war, RememberUs.org has shifted its focus to humanitarian work. On the line with me now is Rachel Korsunsky, Julia's daughter, to tell us a bit about what RememberUs.org is doing now to help innocent civilians in Ukraine whose lives are being destroyed by this unprovoked war and what we can do to help. So welcome, Rachel, for joining us. Thank you so much, and thank you for giving us the platform to share what we're working on. Um, that's exactly what we used to do and unfortunately are continuing to do, and that mm-hmm. is working to prevent genocide. And now, unfortunately, as we see it unfolding, working to help those that are experiencing that. Yeah. Um, right now, we are trying to help as much as we can from afar, as well as on the actual land. Remember Us actually has volunteers all over Ukraine, including in active war zones in cities like Krajko Uh that are experiencing heavy bombing. What we are doing is delivering humanitarian aid to those people that need it the most. And what I mean by that are those who are still stuck in active war zones. There are roughly 2 million Ukrainian refugees who have been lucky enough to escape, escape, but there are millions who are stuck in cities like Kiev, 
Kharkiv, the whole southeast of Ukraine. And that is who we are trying to help because humanitarian aid right now cannot enter those areas efficiently and effectively. Those areas are being bombed, they're being hit by missiles, and there's active army on the ground shooting at civilians. Civilians are their target. Oh, that's unbelievable. Yeah, it, it, it truly is terrible. And when I say vulnerable, that has a twofold meaning. I don't just mean people who are stuck there. But I mean people who had complications to begin with, single mothers, families with disabled children, elderly people, people in extreme poverty situations, you know, that that is the people who are in the most dire and critical situation. And that is who we are primarily trying to help, although we are trying to help everyone, of course. Of course. So a couple of things that we're doing. Um, the first is we are just trying to get cash into the bank cards of those people. Mm -hmm. As I said, there's not really a ton of active aid. All sorts of international organizations are trying to figure out the logistics of getting to those places, but these people need immediate money for food, water, and medicine. Mm -hmm. So we are partnering with all of our volunteers, as well as some other entities, in identifying those people, getting their bank information, and sending over small payments of cash so that they can run, buy some food, buy some medicine. Um, We are receiving so much, um, I hate to use the word positive reception in a time like this, but feedback um, from all of the people that we're sending money to saying, thank you, we've been able to buy bread, buy eggs, buy milk for the first time this week. Um, There's people for the first time have been able to run out to a pharmacy and get their medication. So that is one of the more impactful ways that we're helping. Something else that we're doing is we're receiving lists of prepaid medications. Mm -hmm. And we've been drivers who are incredibly heroic. I mean, driving around active war zones, picking up those medications and doing what they can to deliver them to hospitals, to civilians who just can't go to a pharmacy. I mean, imagine an elderly grandmother living on the eighth floor of a building who doesn't have the ability to run out and get her medicine. Mm. And then we're also actively trying to help people evacuate. I'll be candid, I'm less involved in that effort, so I don't really know the day-to-day there. But what I will say is that we're very plugged in because, unfortunately, we do have people in those areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're just trying to evaluate where the biggest voids are and where we can make the biggest impact. We want to be addressing the most critical situations and helping people there. So when you say uh, your volunteers there, there are Ukrainian residents that have been doing, uh, you know, work opening the museums and planting the trees and all that kind of thing. Those are the people that are now. Yeah. Yeah. We have graphic designers and artists, people opening museums, which are teachers, various community leaders, videographers, just everyone who is part of our nonprofit organization and is now um, almost ironically a, a victim themselves. Not almost ironically, ironically, now are a victim themselves. Yeah. You mentioned that they're doing this, uh, risking their lives to help others, because all of the aid, many people donating to organizations such as, for example, the Red Cross. Now, I think it was your dad had posted that there was a problem. Red Cross was being less than helpful to people in Sumi who are actually trapped there. You know, I have read some articles. I did hear something about that, um, obviously. I wasn't there, so I can't speak mm. to the specifics. And I know the Red Cross, you know, d- did have a situation. But what I will say is that just like with any other industry, there's a big push and pull 
when you look at small companies versus big companies. The beauty of a big company is that they can scale, they can do things with a lot of money, and they have a lot of power. The beauty of a small company is that we can act quickly, Mm -hmm. we're flexible, we're nimble, and we can have direct impact. Um, That's what we're doing. We are incredibly plugged into all the cities. And when I say that, I mean leadership of several cities. So we are able to evaluate what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that answers the question. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it absolutely does. Because, you know, you hear a lot of stories. This is war. And there is propaganda, deliberate propaganda. And there's all kinds of rumors and then gossip. And that never bodes well, right? So it's, it's you know, good to get that clarification. Thank you for that. And it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I did hear there was a, and, and when I say I hear, I mean my father heard directly from the person who was coordinating and supposed to receive the buses that there were some buses that never came, which you can imagine, uh, on top of everything, yeah, yeah. Uh, family filled with hope that they're able to evacuate and then that hope doesn't materialize into anything. Yeah, yeah. I imagine that there must be an awful lot of confusion on the ground as well, though, right? yeah. It it is sad. There is a lot of fake news and propaganda across every single step of this. I actually just heard in a city, somebody, I I think somebody was claiming that there was a Jewish community that was only helping Jewish refugees. And so because of that, some people actually said they weren't going to donate to Remember Us because we partnered with that community. And that was just completely untrue and disgusting and that community is helping absolutely everybody that is affected and has no idea where that rumor even came from oh yeah yeah well you mean your your philosophy is 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 not is not self-centered in any way at all you've got it you know remember us has got uh, a very broad outlook as far as genocide and it, I think you have the proper kind of, right? You have the proper idea that this happened to Jewish people because it happened to Jewish people, it could happen to anyone. And so we have to understand what happened, how it happened, and stop it from happening again. That is a whole point of Holocaust remembrance. 100% and Jews were not the only victims of the Holocaust. Of course, there's a larger focus on Jews in the Holocaust for obvious reasons, mm-hmm. um, and I so you know that kind of comes naturally to me but we are all human we are all part of the human race um we are all trying to do good for one another mm-hmm. some of our most active volunteers are not jewish have no connection to judaism outside of just discuss with what happens in the world sometimes and that's why they help us so it is truly it's a universal issue it's not a Jewish issue. And uh, what an example you are setting for the rest of the world to be doing this now, because why else, were, why else we know, have you been doing this, right? Yeah, I mean, I must say it is very terrifying. I was very involved with a lot of the educational efforts with Remember Us at the start. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never thought I would have to speak about genocide or catastrophe of this proportion in present tense. It was always about things that happen. And now you're seeing absolute devastation in some places, devastation where World War II, they they didn't even dare do some of these things. And I'm, of course, not a historian, but you hear about the bombings of human corridors and and what I've kind of anecdotally read online. They, They didn't do that in World War II. Bombing innocent civilians trying to flee, killing, just killing them, just shooting them off. Yeah. I mean, again, 
heavy caveat. I'm not a historian, and that's just what I've read online. But yeah. I guess I should I should say, regardless of whether or not that happened in World War II, the, the fact that this is happening, that's exactly the concept. The human corridor is supposed to be a civilian evacuation route. There was promise to cease fire over it. Um, and it, it was a total lie. There, I, I just actually, right before I got on the phone with you, the entire family shot up as they were escaping. And you could see knocked over bloody suitcases and just uh, an entire family wiped out. Oh, that, that, that's unspeakable. Yeah. To, to show so little mercy. Yeah. 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 It is. It is an absolute catastrophe that I never thought I would see in my lifetime. So you're working uh, 24-7. Um, your mom, Julia, was, uh, said she was you know, really busy, and thank you for taking the time to, um, to, to speak with us and tell us what you're about, what you're doing, and how you're doing it, which, which is great. Um, what can we do to help? That's a great question. Um, one is donate. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I want people to donate to remember us because I really believe in our mission. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't be a fit if, if I didn't think sure. that we weren't doing the right thing. 100% of our proceeds go exactly to somebody. So if somebody sends me $100, that $100 is now in the bank card of someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, however, I just want the world to be a better place. And I don't care where you donate as long as it is, as it is an organization doing the right thing. So I ask people to donate and I ask people to research where they donate. Not all organizations are nonprofit organizations or not-for-profit organizations. And not all organizations know what they're doing. I would really research entities have roots and plugins in Ukraine as opposed to being a large international organization that's operating from 100 miles away and doesn't actually know what's happening. Mm-hmm. That's one. Number two, read the news and read unbiased news sources. Um, we talked a little bit about propaganda earlier. Mm-hmm. It's all over, and it's not always intentional. Right. Um, Try to stay as close as you can to primary sources. Mm-hmm. Personally, I spend a lot of time on official Ukrainian social media. Uh, President Zelensky mm-hmm. makes a speech probably two or three times a day. The okay. Ukrainian official tourism site releases a lot of content. Mm-hmm. Um, just stay informed. Tell people what's happening. Don't let this become something that the news was frenzied over for a week and then it dies down um, because people are dying every single day and we need it to stay current. Yeah. Where can people who don't speak Ukrainian or or Russian, are there English language sources? A lot of those videos, there's other accounts that will repost them with subtitles. And Zelensky typically speaks in Ukrainian. Those accounts repost them with English subtitles. That's what I look at. And so you can, is this the official Ukrainian government site or is it even on Facebook uh, accounts? Um, maybe I'm revealing my age here. I look on Instagram, okay. but I imagine it's all over. Okay. Um, I'm sure it's on their Facebook. So, um, mm-hmm. I just personally try to follow a lot of international media sources mm-hmm. um, because I, I find those are closer to what's actually happening. Right. Well, they're closer than North America for sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, how then would people donate to rememberus.org? You can donate by going to rememberus.org mm-hmm. <laughs> on our page. You can donate through Facebook. It's a wonderful tool for fundraising, but I actually would prefer that people don't because 
it takes a little bit of time to release the funds and you know we need as immediate money as possible okay um, so through our website so rememberus.org uh, easy to remember and yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah so thank you so much uh, Rachel for for joining us for sharing uh, all this valuable information and hopefully listeners will do that rememberus.org and uh, make a donation large or small whatever North American money goes a long way in Ukraine and thank you for bringing that up Um, we did just donate to somebody who has less than three dollars left in their bank account a donation of twenty dollars is six times their entire net worth oh my Um, yeah so yeah thank you yeah thank you for giving us the platform to speak Okay, thank you. Godspeed in your work, and uh, please give your best regards, my best regards to your to your mother, to Julia, and your father as well. They did they they made a very positive contribution to to our world um, to bring you into it and your brother as well. So thank you to your entire Krasinski family. God bless you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. I was speaking with Rachel Korsunski with rememberus.org, and that is the address where you can go online to find their website and please make a donation to this outstanding organization that is saving lives and giving hope to Ukrainians suffering in this terrible war. Rememberus.org. Ви слухаєте наш голос Радіо Українського коріння, котре подається вам на хвилі CHLY 101.7 FM у місті Нанайму. І з вами Оксана і Павліна. You're listening to Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio on CHLY 101.7 FM in beautiful downtown Nanaimo with your hosts Oksana and me Pavlina. Сьогодні моє ти Горбати, ренегати проводять дебати, філософствують конфедерати, проповідують дегенерати, римотворці римують закони, миротворці ладують канони, іновірці купують ікони, іноземці друкують купони. Дисиденти йдуть в президенти, імпотенти йдуть в дисиденти. Вигортали старі документи, вже бували подібні моменти. On the line with me now is Amy Greenaway, curator of the Nanaimo Museum. And uh, she's here to tell us about an exhibit uh, that is currently showing there, uh, which might be of great interest to our listeners. Uh, During the First World War, Canada interned 8,579 men identified as enemy aliens, including mostly Ukrainian and German immigrants, and these included families in some uh, cases. This was a network of 24 camps across Canada. This latest special exhibition from the Canadian War Museum is called Enemy Aliens Internment in Canada, 1914-1920. It explores the internment operations and the experiences of the internees. So Amy is here to tell us a little bit more about the, uh, the exhibit. So welcome, Amy. Thank you for joining us. Hello. Thank you. 
Now, this exhibit um, started in February, and it's here for a little while, so people still have time to check it out. What are they going to find when they come to the Nanaimo Museum? The exhibit, as you mentioned, is about the experiences of people who were deemed enemy aliens during the First World War and were interned. About 70% of those people were Ukrainian, and there were also people um, who were from Germany, who were part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, and from other countries in Europe. So countries that people who were from countries that were at that time at war with the British Empire. In addition to the men who were interned, which is the the number that you mentioned earlier, approximately 8,600 people, mm-hmm. there were also 150 children and 80 women right. interned. Yeah. So if people come to the museum, they will see a kind of a two-part exhibit, really. The first part is a traveling exhibit that was created by the Canadian War Museum in partnership with the Ukrainian-Canadian Civil Liberties Foundation. Mm-hmm. And we've added to that a section about the experiences of people who were interned in Nanaimo and people who were deemed enemy aliens but weren't necessarily interned. Oh, that's interesting as a particular personal interest to me because I think my great uncle might have ended up here in Nanaimo, but we don't know anything. I found out about this in a casual conversation with my dad. Um, you know, it just he threw it away just, you know, when Uncle Harry went off to the camps and blah, blah. And I said, Dad, whoa, let's rewind here. What did you just say? And uh, he's, yeah, you said Uncle Harry went to the camps and he said, yeah. And they took him to Brandon and then he went to BC and he talked about how tall the trees were in BC. Uh, and, uh, we were, you know, they homesteaded on a farm in Saskatchewan. And so that's all I know. Um, I did do some a little bit of digging, found out that he had been, um, there were some family archives that talked a little bit about how he came to Canada in 1914, wanted to be a trumpeter, joined the army and then was discharged. That's all I know. So where did you find the documentation of those that were here? Well, thank you for sharing. To start with, that's such a powerful story. And we hear that story mm. time and time again here at the museum and mm. come across it in our research. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why we come across stories like that, uh, where families say, we have this story within our family that, you know, this ancestor or this other family member were in turn, but we don't have any documentation and we'd like to learn more about it. And mm. we're having a hard time doing that. And the reason for that, uh, well, there's a few reasons, but the main one is in 1954, the Canadian government destroyed many of its records connected to First World War internment operations, which you might have encountered. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so that obviously creates problems for family members who are trying to learn their story Mm -hmm. um, because there aren't the government records to help fill in the blanks. Right, right, yeah. What we ended up doing, because in our exhibit here at the Nanaimo Museum in the local section, it was really important to us because those personal stories are harder to come by because those documents aren't there. Mm -hmm. We still really wanted to tell the story of people because these are experiences that are happening in community and who are the people who Mm -hmm. were interned and what do we know about how that affected them? Mm -hmm. And we know that there was a family interned in the Nanaimo internment camp. A family. Was, there was um, a family here. A family. Wow. Yes. Wow. Frederick and Hilda Coase 
Um, they were from, they lived in Victoria. Frederick Coase was from Germany. He emigrated here in 1906. He worked as a boat builder with his brother in Victoria. His wife was um, from England, so she was a, a British subject. And their son, Fred, was born just a couple of months before the start of the war. And according to their family story, that when Hilda's husband, um, Frederick Coase, was interned, she made the difficult decision of going with him because she had this small baby that she needed to take care of. Mm. And so I, we can only imagine the, the duress that a person would be under to make a decision like that. Mm. Um, so she joined him in the internment camp in Nanaimo. Did they end up in Vernon? After Nanaimo? They did. Okay. Yes, they did. So the internment camp in Nanaimo opened in September 1914. For people who are familiar with Nanaimo, it was in a former provincial jail building that was on Stewart Avenue. Okay. Stewart Avenue is a very main roadway today. Right. And the camp was enclosed with a 14-foot wall. Um, Logs, lumber, and heavy wire were around it. And... One of the internees who escaped, uh, his name was John Wooler, he described the camps as, that camp specifically in Nanaimo, as unsanitary, poorly ventilated, crowded, and the food unfit for human consumption. Oh, dear. Wow. It's incredible. He also described how the guards mistreated internees and that there was a solitary confinement cell that was referred to as the black hole. Oh, wow. So that facility in Nanaimo operated for a year. It closed in September 1915, and the people who were in that camp were transferred to other facilities in BC, and quite a few of them ended up in Vernon, um, which had its own internment camp, and that's where the Coast family went. Right. Where did you find the... the documentation, the information that you've, that you've been able to add here in Nanaimo, the local addition to the exhibit? We have been working on research for the Nanaimo internment camp and the experiences of people in Nanaimo probably since 2015. So we've oh. been slowly piecing the information together from mm-hmm. all sorts of different sources. So um, with the internment camp, we know where it was located because there's a fire insurance map from the same time period in the Nanaimo archive. Oh. The experiences of the that I just mentioned that John Woolert described, that's from a newspaper article in Seattle from um, around 1915. So all sorts of sources trying to piece together what we can of of the people who were there and what their experiences were. Wow, tedious work and uh, it required a lot of digging. Thank you for doing that. What a fascinating story it must be. It is. And I think it's really interesting you know, to to see the human stories in yeah. this uh, historical injustice. But I also have a lot of empathy for the families who are trying to research this topic and trying to learn more about how their families were affected and don't necessarily have the resources and experience in researching that the museum has to be able to undertake this on their own. So um, I can appreciate that it's a really daunting task for families to try and pull these stories together. Right, right, yeah, for sure. So where is the museum located? 
the museum is located inside the Vancouver Island Conference Center on Commercial Street in downtown Nanaimo. And we're open Tuesday to Saturday from 10 till 4. Is there admission? Right now, admission is by donation. Oh, okay. Um, That's great. Um, So... The local angle you said you were you were piecing together all this information since since 2015. Obviously, working in co- uh, collaboration with the uh, Canadian First World War Internment Recognition Fund that's uh, located in I think Winnipeg now. Yes, their website has so many incredible resources on it. I definitely recommend people who are wanting to learn more about this topic or who are wanting to do research on their own family's experiences. That is a place to take a look for sure. Okay. Okay, so um, one last question, Amy. Uh, do you see this as having any present-day relevance? The, we are seeing a war in Ukraine, and there will be refugees. The Can- uh, Canadian government is offering to bring in refugees into Canada. Do you see that this uh, exhibit today can can help to prevent mistakes of the past being repeated? I mean, obviously, there won't be any, anybody in an internment camp, but you've got strange people, you know, strange, I mean, I mean from a different culture coming into Canada in, in large mm-hmm. numbers, unexpectedly. And at that time, um, they were the, the culture was foreign. I mean, it's a little different now because, you know, we've had multiculturalism for quite a while, and, you know, people are a little more accustomed to having different cultures um, than they were 100 years ago. But uh, still, there is the kind of the shock factor of all this influx of new people. Do you do you see that, you know, the exhibit can make some positive changes? I hope so. One of the parts of the exhibit that I'm really hoping that people who visit take away from is that we've added a couple of discussion questions in there that we hope will get people reflecting on Mm -hmm. this, not just as a historic event, but as something that has implications today. And so the question is Mm -hmm. something like, do you think that internment could happen today in Canada? And those are really important questions for people to be having. Mm -hmm. One of the big misconceptions that I hear when I talk to people about First World War internment, number one, a lot of people in Canada aren't aware of this period of Canadian history. So that's one element to to know our history. But the other piece is that there is a a misconception that all of these events happen because of wartime fear and that because of that, they were justified. And that's not what the research shows. The research shows that in there, that certainly could have been an element of it. I'll be very clear that my experience has been in researching very specifically British Columbia and Nanaimo. So I can speak less to what was going on outside of British Columbia. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we do know is that in British Columbia in 1915, so the year after the First World War started, William Bowser, who was the acting premier and attorney general, He was a very powerful voice for internment, and he ordered the B.C. Provincial Police in May of 1915 to arrest coal miners from Ladysmith and Nanaimo, approximately 115 of them, and have them interned. Very specifically targeted coal miners because he wanted to, and he made public announcements about this, he wanted to hire British miners in their places. So there's a lot of 
a lot of layers happening to the story and it's not as cut and dry as it might seem at first glance. Right, right. It, also, there was indentured, basically, slavery, like slave labor involved in, in, yes. the, inter, in forced, the internment. Forced labor, yeah. That's right. Yeah, there's forced labor happening in the camps. That's uh, another element that the uh, exhibit looks at, um, very specifically parts of forced labor camps that help build really well-known Canadian national parks Mm -hmm. like Banff and Revelstoke. So there's those pieces as well. So places that we, you know, might see as great sources of pride as Canadians, these beautiful natural locations, they were made accessible as parks by forced labor from First World War internment camps. Yeah, yeah. So lots of of history at this exhibit then, and uh, surprises, I'm sure. Um, Probably mostly unpleasant, but, you know, really good to know, thought-provoking, and um, look forward to seeing it myself. Uh, Tell us again, Amy, where the museum is located and what the hours are. Yes, the museum is located in downtown Nanaimo on Commercial Street. We're in the Vancouver Island Conference Centre and we're open Tuesday to Saturday from 10 until 4 p.m. Okay, that's wonderful. Thank you so much, Amy. Uh, is there any um, anything else you'd like to uh, to mention that listeners should should know? There are two commemorative cairns in Nanaimo for the First World War internment. One of them is on the waterfront walkway right near where the Nanaimo internment camp was located. Mm -hmm. It was installed in 1997 and had a plaque added to it in 2014, which was marking the 100th uh, anniversary of the start of World War I and also of internment. And the same 2014 commemorative plaque was installed at St. Michael the Archangel Ukrainian Catholic Church in Nanaimo. Right. So if people aren't able to get to the museum before the exhibit closes or aren't in the area, uh, but they are visiting Nanaimo, those are two places that you could go and um, connect with this story. The exhibit is open until Saturday, May the 21st. Okay. And open from Tuesday to Saturday. And uh, information, um, if in case people weren't jotting this down, is there a website or some other um, some other way to reach you? Yes, our we have all the information about the exhibit and our hours at our website, which is nanaimomuseum.ca, and we also have social media posts about the history of First World War internment happening throughout the run of the exhibit. So you could go see the museum on Facebook or on Twitter and learn a little bit more about First World War internment. Okay, fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Amy, for sharing all this information and I hope to see you at the museum uh, before May 21st. Yes, I hope so. It'd be great to meet in person. Okay, thank you so much, Amy. Thank you. I want to share with you my thoughts. Yesterday, I was listening our president Volodymyr Zelensky in a British parliament by video conference and he in his speech used the words of Winston Churchill we will fight on the sea we will fight in the sky it was touched my heart and I was crying because 
Actually, we don't want to be great country. We don't need a b- to be powerful country. We just want to be in peace. But when big and great country so weak, so scareful, we don't have a choice and we should be brave and great. But it's very sad when great Britain and big Europe Union and great Americans they were careful with Russian and uh, every day every day people in Mariupol died oh, in other cities and we scare that soon will be used poison like in Aleppo Syria so this my thoughts Uh, you know I don't touch my guitar two weeks when start war I don't touch guitar and I don't sing because it's changed everything is changed and it's take a long time if we will win to again start to live like before sometimes i believe that my my faith is strong and sometimes i feel that everything is gone wrong honestly today's i just stay at home because nobody called me to help several days i was driving refugees to the boards and uh, as I say said before when you start something to do good and help people there are come more people and do it much better and I I don't I, I don't know what to do because nobody call me and say you your help please help us I don't know, um, yesterday and today we go with my family to dentist and we repair our teeth if we needed to go from Ukraine we repair our teeth because in Ukraine it's cheap and dentist very good Uh, so I was sleeping a lot because uh, several days I don't sleep good and I driving a lot and a few days I just uh, sleep and eat and go to dentist when everybody around you work like bee uh, you f- you feel <laughs> that you lazy I'm not a big man in Ukraine. I'm just one of million people in Ukraine and I'm just do little job in my in my country. And I can't uh, tell you how can you support us. Uh, I think if you have parents or friends in Ukraine, you can just send to him money by moneygram or another way it anyway it will helps uh, whole ukraine because 
this situation we uh, don't have economic uh, many many people uh, lost his homes and uh, their jobs and now we uh, need uh, just to help us in um, by money if you have some friends or another people who do some job you can uh, support us by, by this way especially my family don't need uh, right now anything because i have some friends in usa and they send to me money and uh, uh, we have uh, in lviv everything what we need uh, so we try to help another people who don't uh, have something but it's uh, this situation when you start do something good another people start do this same thing much better and after a few days you see i see that uh, my job it's not really needed need because somebody else do it do it much better so sometimes i see seek some another to do if you believe in god just i want to um, ask you to pray for mariupol uh nikolaev it's mariupol where very difficult situation bombing uh, or cycle like uh, russian troops uh, around the cities and they bombing now they can't get in the town but they can uh, destroy the cities that was ukrainian singer and songwriter dmitry kondrashov in lviv originally from donetsk and this is an example of the music the soul that Putin and his Western, if not accomplices, then at best enablers, are killing.
все залюбки І далі, далі нехай Моя кохана знай Любов зростатиме Ти відчувай Мені так добре з тобою Коли ти поруч зі мною Я відчуваю душою Це усе мене Але тобі скажу ще In 2011, Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio hit the airwaves in Nanaimo and surrounding areas, served by campus community radio station CHLY 101.7 FM. I was just new to the island, having followed my husband into retirement from long careers for both of us on the Lower Mainland. For me, it was a lovely, much more relaxing pace that allowed me to learn to do live radio in a baptism-by-fire environment here on CHLY, but which, as Ashta Carmier, host of Sweet and Sour Variety Hour here, and many others, assured me it was very forgiving to newcomers learning the ropes of live radio. And indeed, it was. It was an interesting period of personal as well as professional growth for me, as I learned various aspects of the campus radio variety of the broadcasting industry. For a while, I even joined the staff as an advertising sales representative. That was an indescribably enriching experience for me. Not only did I learn new skills on the job, I got to know many of my fellow programmers better, as well as other staff and board members, along with members of the community that we serve. In 2016, Oksana Pobarezhnik joined me as co-host of Nash Holos here on CHLY. She breathed new life into the show and quickly endeared herself to fellow volunteers as well as listeners of CHLY and Nasholos. Like me, she had to learn live radio on the fly, but she took to it like a duck to water. In the five years since, Oksana has honed her technical as well as presentation skills and has proven herself to be capable of taking over the reins of Nasholos here at CHLY. And so it is time for me to hand them over to her, as retirement beckons. Oksana will no doubt present a different show than I did, or that we did together, but undoubtedly it will be a program that listeners will thoroughly enjoy, and that will do CHLY proud. As for me, after a decade on the air here in Nanaimo, two decades in Vancouver, and three decades since Nash Holos first went to air in BC, I finally get to sail off into the sunset, and to enjoy Nash Holos as a listener. So with that, 
I'm Pavlina. Do susirici. Oksana Poporeznik will be back with Nash Holos after these messages. Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.